Hello and welcome to the Total Quadball podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make quadball what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode 77 of the pod and the final episode previewing the 2023 IQA World Cup. Last episode signalled the end of the Road to Richmond project with the USA's Jackson Johnson. A big thank you to him for his participation and also a big thank you to James Hicks from the African Nations, Samantha Chittenden from Australia, Daniel Mitterau from Austria, Victor Mortgat from Belgium, Gustavo Sparate from Brazil, Michael Howard from Canada, Alice Walker from England, William Novell from France, Marco Zeekhaus from Germany, Chris Lau from Hong Kong, Narasha Dala from India, Camila Cortea and Kohei Koyama from Japan, Ariel Highbloom from Mexico, Sher Ask Bieland from Norway. Uh, 15 fantastic guests, 15 fantastic episodes. Would highly recommend listening through the full series if you've missed any of them out uh, on our Spotify. Uh, lots of great nuggets of information and reasons to get hyped for the World Cup. Uh, speaking of getting hyped, that brings me on to this episode. Uh, I received a message a few days ago from a certain someone. They know who they are, and I'm pretty sure they're listening to this right now. And the message said, quote unquote, Where's the opinions, though, Fraser? You need someone to come onto a podcast and really stir the pot, rile some people up. So we're doing just that. A special World Cup edition of Hot Takes with two guests who I can only describe as two true connoisseurs of quadball hot takes themselves. It's a good evening to Tad Walters from the US and a good morning to James Hosford from Australia. Hello, guys. How are we doing? Hey, crew. How are we? Going yeah. well, not too it's early a... here, so ready to go. Yeah, it's pretty early over here too. Just 7 p.m., you know. <laughs> Woo, just woke up. This is, on, on all the episodes of the podcast, this is probably my greatest logistical achievement. We have Tad Walters on God's Time over in uh, the Midwest in the Central US. Time. CT, baby, what up? Yeah. And uh, James over in uh, the other side of, of the world in Australia. Um all live at the same time it's well just gone midnight or so here in the uk um so yeah glad we could make this happen and uh get people more excited and uh discuss some opinions about the world cup um and yeah we'll, we'll crack into it shall we um big thank yeah. you to everyone who's sent in their hot takes both uh anonymously and also sticking their name on it uh we do love uh a good hot take and uh we're gonna start yeah. with there are some good ones. Yeah, there are. <laughs> there are some, yeah, some, spi- really there's some spi- on the spicy daddies. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I've heard there's worse ones to come yet, so let's wait and see. <laughs> let's wait and see, indeed. Uh, we're going to start with a quite literal hot take uh, from Jonathan Bonner, who says, weather is going to be one of the biggest factors in how the weekend goes. I'm from the desert, he says. What, what do we make of that? Well, as someone who lives in the United States, uh, let me tell you, um, I know it's probably gonna be hot. Um, I don't know how hot it will be. Uh, I know that last year when we went to South Carolina for the ESPN event with Canada, it was pretty scorching. Um, so I think always weather plays a factor into the game. Um, I do think just because of the style of play of international teams, rain means a little more than I think it does in the U S meta. 
um, as far as like what that means for certain defenses and certain offenses and how people play. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, I feel like some Australia is probably pretty hot. I've heard. Um, so I don't know. I, I think they'll be pretty suited. Well, suited if it is super hot, like it was last year in South Carolina, which is comparable, uh, place, but a little different, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've, so I've heard there's a bit of a heat wave coming through the South recently in the U S so that's likely to end up. How do you know, but, like how do you know about that before I do? <laughs> I'm not sure. Just how do, who already. told this guy? Yeah. Why do you know more about the weather patterns of my country than I do? <laughs> that's why the kinds like us are on this podcast, I guess. Jesus. <laughs> get their research done. I agree. I think that Australia notionally should suit, but we are, we're coming out of winter here. So it'll be a case of transition. And I think if it's really hot, that will be an advantage potentially for Australia over European teams but not against the U.S. because the U.S. are used to it and get that sort of heat. But I also just think the fundamental athleticism in the U.S. game can handle that sort of thing. So if we get you know proper 40 Celsius, 100 plus Fahrenheit insane conditions, I think that just widens the gaps between everybody. I think the U.S. are probably even further ahead then. Whereas if we get rain, I think it equalizes everything. Yeah, true. That's going to be the interesting factor with it. Because um, obviously, if it's a hot weekend, it's going to favour Australia. It's going to favour the US. It's probably going to favour Mexico, I'd say. Their big southwest mm. influence um, probably will work against uh, poor England folk. Uh, I think Norway might struggle a little bit as well. Mm. Um, oh, Barrett. man, they're going to get so sunburnt. <laughs> Whereas conversely, I think if it rains, and it, we've seen it in past tournaments, um, over in Europe, when it has rained, it's definitely helped the English teams a lot. Um, so I don't know, maybe uh, Alice Walker, Seb Waters, the list this might be praying for a little uh, rain dance. Maybe who knows? <laughs> Do you think it helps the rain helps England just because they have such a fluid offensive understanding? Because my sort of my European layman might have thought that a pass heavy offense would be worse affected by the rain potentially. Oh yeah, like it becomes a very sort of route one sort of driving dish game yeah um which yeah like in the uk especially we're very used to a lot of tournaments getting rained out and sort of yeah. having to make those adaptions whereas i think a, in other countries dish, that yeah. might not be the same the same issue yeah exactly because i feel like a driving dish heavy also potentially suits the us and australia just with a lot of our size yeah true but, uh, i mean speaking of yeah, yourself the us team is not very big Interesting. <laughs> I, I would say they're. I would say they're not. I mean, I think Australia is much. I think Australia was much bigger last time, and I think it. Yeah, I. I think with yeah. maybe, probably comparable. I don't know in which direction actually. Probably have to look at the actual roster, but yeah, we're not mm. huge. Mm. And um, yes. Yeah, so speaking of Australia, we have um, our next hot take coming in from Big J Holmes, uh, former guest and a big fan of the pod he says australian physicality doesn't matter lads grow up what do you reckon what does he mean by this exactly that's my question (laughs) yeah that was my question too it depends what he means like is he saying that they're not actually that physical or that i think that's what he's implying yeah Uh... or that maybe physicality doesn't matter as much at the world cup I mean, I just, I mean, I guess that's the hot take because yeah. I disagree with that. <laughs> um, I think Australia's physical, 
let me let me rephrase rephrase. I think Australia's size was a huge issue for the U.S. last time or not last time uh, the year they lost. Um, and even last time, I think that when Australia was experiencing success, it was from sheer height a lot of the times in their zones. Um, that was super helpful in blocking shots, which the U.S. was really trying to put up on them. Um, but I think, and I do love the work their point defenders put on like ball carriers like Augie, who you see historically, you know, I've been able to just chop people up both in the U S and even international for a long time. But like when Australia D's up, they D up really well at the top. Um, and then that creates, I think, good, good forcing passes to the wings and to the back. So I think the physicality there is a, a huge boon for Australia and has historically been that at least in for me watching, but I think the height and is the biggest thing. And if anything, their offensive physicality that their size allows them on the U S like in my head, I have this image burned in my mind of uh, Sam Hamowitz hanging off of Callum Mayling as Callum's just like driving in to score. And Sam's like, you know, one of the better defenders here in the U S for a while, especially in his heyday. So I remember that being like a very jarring moment for me watching being like, Oh, that's a big boy. Uh, that's, yeah. that, that's something we don't really have down here as much. Yeah. I'm, I agree in that if the take is saying, Australia are more physical. If he's accepting that as a parameter, but saying he doesn't think the physicality will matter, then huge and heavy disagree. If the take is physicality does matter, I just don't think Australia have it necessarily over everyone like people say, then yeah, maybe because historically we have, but the European game is definitely catching up on that front and mm -hmm. two-arm tackle in general just has made it way more physical for everybody and kind of compresses that whole field. So yeah, it depends whether we... We've always been talked about in Australia as having a huge physical advantage. I agree, might not actually be reality anymore, but I think in the end, size will still matter, whoever's got it. Yeah, true. Like I think the, the introduction of two-arm tackling fully into the IPA rulebook is going to be really interesting to see um, and like how different nations approach it. Like Obviously, they had it in uh mlq before anyone guys else. it's dope um, it's awesome <laughs> it's, so good. it's really um, it's really the bees knees y'all y'all are gonna love it you're um, gonna like the way you look i guarantee it yeah I think we I love it, here. it before on a previous podcast but um i don't like the technique was a little bit all over the place some people are really good at it some people mm. just like spinning yeah. around folk and like not really getting a proper proper wrap a proper tackle um so it's gonna be interesting to see which countries have properly nailed the fundamentals of that skill i saw some yeah. good stuff at eqc i was uh pleasantly surprised when i was scrolling through the film um of i mean it was exactly what you said but the same thing happens in the u.s too i mean we i i have teammates i have teammates i have uh players that i coach that when they approach the two arms, it is ugly. Uh, it is not mm. good. <laughs> but then there's other players who do it really well. It looks clean, looks good, uh, feels safe to be tackled and to tackle. So overall, I, I think it's a really great product. Uh, I'm excited to see it at the European Games. I think it's going to be – or at, uh, sorry, at a, a World Cup. Um, I think it's going to be a really big boon. I think it's – even though, yes, it helps y'all be more physical. I say y'all is just like the world, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like some of the top tier, like Europe teams, uh, Australia, I think it's going to help y'all be more physical. I do, however, think that the familiarity with it for so long is going to be huge for the U.S. We were doing it pre-COVID. Like, yeah. and, you know, that's I think that speaks. Well. I think I think that experience is going to have more of a factor than we think it is. Yeah, yeah, that, that, so. yeah quite potentially, I think. And, uh, I think 
well, just from because we only really changed in the UK back in about September time, and that first training trying out was very weird. People going just so drilled into using one arm, and then it was like, oh, we can use the second one, and trying to get into that new mindset. And certainly, certain people have taken to it really well, but some people are still making that adjustment. Yeah, it does make. I will say what I really like about it, um, and I think we'll mention this later on in the pod. Uh, from from one of the other hot spicy takes uh but i do think it really makes tackling overall just like more inclusive right i think it allows technique to matter more fundamentally than size than one arm tackling did so now i think you see people who historically have maybe been eager to tackle but felt like they couldn't because of their athletic ability or body size um or or like a body type i think now you're you're starting to see more people actively engaging in tackling uh, which I think is really good for the sport and really exciting. Um, and it creates, I think, opportunities for chasers to force passes and uh, force the flow of an offense defensively instead of letting the beaters do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, because on, on that, I think there's a bit of a a misnomer, the sort of confusion that happens with two-arm tackle where a lot of people think, and I thought this early on, think, it's going to equalize the game more because like, right, like more people can tackle now. It should just inherently be a more defensive game and notionally it's easier to tackle. So players who might not have been elite defenders before can be now. Mm-hmm. So that should equalize in theory where I think the US advantage playing it forever comes in is in the offensive solutions to that. The US know how to play against it so much better. Like will every country there will just be able to tackle each other more, but in totality for the game, do Australia and the Europeans have solutions yet for players that have been doing this at that level or higher in MLQ and USQ finals for you know years now? Yeah, true. It's, it's definitely an interesting factor to cover. Um, we're going to move on to our next hot take, which comes in from Matt Bateman. Um, this is, I guess, partly about the locations, but also the attendance of this World Cup. Um, so the World Cup is poorer for not having Spain, Italy or Turkey there. What would the inclusion of those nations do to the tournament and subsequent bracket play? Uh, I'll be honest, uh, outside of watching a little bit of was the last European Games that I think those three teams were present at, which I will say I remember watching Turkey and being pleasantly surprised. I know anything about Turkey before. Um, and I really like what they brought to the table. Um, I wish I could speak more on specific things or players I saw, but same with all those teams. Um, and in general, I remember being surprised that there were so few teams coming to this world cup than there were, uh, at the last one. And, uh, it was in Florence. Right. Yeah. Um, and so really, cause I think it was like 29 last time or yeah. something like that. And then now it's like 15, um, which when you're really thinking about it too, a lot of these teams are being very heavily bolstered by American players that might not have happened had it been somewhere abroad. So to me, that's a huge bummer. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm at that kind of sucks. Uh, I hope a lot of us players come. There's a lot of presence on the East coast with the U S uh, quad ball. So I'm hoping that a lot of them come down and there's actually good crowds. I don't know how many Europeans or Australians outside of the actual teams are traveling. If y'all know of groups coming down or anything. Yeah, there's a small-ish group from Australia, bigger than for European games, certainly. Cool. And yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's just I don't think I don't think it changes the dynamic of the tournament that much. It's just a bummer. It's just a general bummer for those guys not being yeah. able to come. Turkey were you know, bronze medalists last time. That was a real big, like, epic upset run they had in 2018. Yeah. 
And Italy, I know we've got good memories of Italy and Australia because they nearly got us at European Games last year. They played us a really close game in pool play that we sort of, as, as fans watching from afar, weren't entirely expecting. So all three of those teams are definitely relevant enough factors that they could have done some fun, juicy stuff. I don't think in the end it would have affected who's going to be deep in the bracket, but it's just it's just a shame not to be less teams overall. Although I'm not, I'm not surprised fundamentally because that's COVID, that's general game decline, that's you know other controversial, disappointing elements we've got in the game that we've all been... We all spend a lot of our time yelling at everyone about as it is, plus Europeans traveling to America as opposed to the reverse. So I expected it to be a fairly small tournament. Yeah, it is a shame because, like, well, the point I've made to people is that we've had a long time to know where this tournament would be. That, like, if if you are on one of these national teams, you can look ahead and go, there's a good chance I'll be there, or I want to be there. I'll start saving up now. Or, like, if I'm my national team's head coach or an NGB president, I'm thinking, right, we need to start fundraising at this point, which the, the teams that are attending have done. And yeah. like they've, they've made it a priority to do so. Um, I know this is not exactly the most popular opinion and people have all their own personal circumstances. And I know, especially in the case of Turkey, their exchange rate has plummeted massively in the yeah. last few years and financially just wasn't viable. Um so there's a whole kind, there's all kinds of issues in terms of things that people could, can control, people things that people can't can't control. Um, but ultimately, I think it's good to have a tournament outside of Europe at some point. Um, like, yes, the thing with having a World Cup in Europe is you guarantee a lot of these smaller teams, say, I don't know, the Czech Republics, the Polands, the Slovenias, the Slovakias of the world will, will go to a tournament in Europe. Um, and I don't know if, if this tournament was held in Europe, like this year, we're probably looking at, I'm going to say about 24 teams, maybe, um, so a, f- a few teams have dropped off in the last few years. Um, <clears throat> but I- I'd like to see it more like football where if you, if you follow up or soccer for, for Tad, um, where, all right, you have, all right. <laughs> where you have, um, like one world cup tends to be in Europe, um, and then, so, so, for example, in 2018, it was in Russia. And then last year, in 2022, it was in Qatar. Um, and then it kind of alternates between being in Europe and being out of Europe, being in Europe, being out of Europe. Sure. I, don't, I don't see why we couldn't do that with enough forward. I like it. Like, like, I'll I think tell you this now. As a spectator, I'd much rather go to Europe than Richmond, Virginia. Not to say that Richmond, <laughs> Virginia is a bad place. It's a neat, it's a neat little town. But uh, like I, 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 I really wanted to go to I really wanted to go to Italy. I was pretty close to going to Italy, and I was bummed I couldn't go. But um, yeah, I think a lot of I think there's a lot of U.S. fans that would still travel, and I think that's I think there's gonna be more and more of those as the years go on too. Um, so I think there have been historically more and more people that will travel abroad for it outside yeah. of the team. But um, yeah, I'm I'm bummed about it from a spectator standpoint. Um, and as someone who so I was at the 2014 Global Games in uh, in Vancouver. Um, that w- wasn't a ton of teams. Uh, so I have like a little international experience from that, you know, and some of those people are like still around or around for a couple, couple years after. But um, yeah, I, as a spectator, as a, as a player who's, you know, played for a long time and, and met some of these international people, it's cool to me to be able to meet more international players, um, you know, and obviously just from watching film, rewatching their games live, like watch play styles, learn something new. A lot of the play styles are different and, yeah, I'll say some of them are bad, but there are some things that I'm like, oh shit, that's really cool. Um, like yeah. I remember the year Australia, the year the year Australia won 2016. 
there were a lot of really cool things that strategically I think Australia was doing that wasn't really big in the U.S. And a lot of things that still aren't big in the U.S., especially beater-wise. Uh, I think Australia has been ahead of the curve against other countries as far as playing the U.S., which I think has been the one of the biggest limiting factors from European success is the beater game. Um, and I, I, I applaud Australia for that. I just want to throw that out there because I really expect the hell out of their beater program. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the beater program is always where we felt ahead and like we could make threats against the Americans. And I think what Fraser was saying is makes sense. And I think we have a real sense here that it will probably alternate between Europe and outside Europe and be back in Europe in two years. And that's why, you know, I hope and expect that Quidditch Australia is putting together some sort of proposal for 2027 because that's when we, that's when we really get juicy. You talk about wanting international play and visitors and let's do the absolute disaster mode that we know the IQA will probably not be ballsy enough to do, which is bring it out here, boys. Let's go. Everyone come to Australia. Make it make everyone have to travel instead of one of Europe this, or America this being This is the point that I bring up to everyone, James. Where, hmm. Like People have talked about how difficult it is going to the US, but like Australia travel every single year pretty yeah. much without complaint. Like They yeah. know the geography of it. And yeah. no one sort of raised the point, hang on a minute, what about these guys? They always travel. Yeah. Like, oh, thing is, we're so, we're so damn good at this. Yeah. We would host yeah. such a good tournament. If just if enough teams could manage to get here, even if it was this 15 kind of range, damn, it would it would kick ass. And exactly what Tab was saying, the amount of people like Tad and guys in the America I've been following for 10 years and never and basically without a big change in fortune in my own life will never get the chance to meet. And then suddenly if World Cup's here, man, I will go nuts for something like that. Yeah, I would, man. I, I, I would love to go to Australia for a World Cup. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it'd have a similar problem with, uh, with European teams getting down there. Yeah. Uh, not quite as bad, just because it's not America. But, uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but it um, wouldn't be a problem for yeah, the US. The idea is great. You guys travel everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we fundraise pretty damn well. Um, yeah. I think we're, I think we do fine. Dallas does a great job of running that program for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a case of enough forward planning. If we can go right four years time, whatever it is, World Cup in Australia, like start getting some funds together. Like, yeah, people do it because it's the World Cup. Like, USA is not going to go. No, we're not turning up. Like, yeah, so yeah. like countries would get their act together if they had enough forward warning. I think. Yeah, I, I think again, we're talking hot takes, and except this actually isn't that hot for anyone who's done like administrative work. But the 2025 World Cup venue should have been long known before now, and we should be finding out 27 shortly. Yeah. Optimally, that should yep. be the I'm time with that. Point. I'm with that. I, yeah, it I love that. Still... Yeah. It should I'll be tell a four-year lead time. My dad owns some land down in Texas, in East Texas in the country. We can just clear out some space. How many fields y'all need? <laughs> it's a little tough. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll knock it out real quick. We'll make it easy. You guys can all come down. You I mean, my, my grandma's house. Go to Round Rock, Tad. Like, no, no ifs, no buts. We go to Round Rock. No, no, no. We can, we'll go to East Texas. Everyone loves it there. People talk about all the time how great East Texas is. Uh, it'll be awesome. People will love it. It's green all the time. You, you'll be delighted. My dad will take you fishing. It'll be nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had all kinds of ideas over the years about what you could do infrastructurally if you had a dedicated space that was permanent. You could have all kinds oh, of fun. Oh, that'd be huge. Like that. Yeah. The dream. The, anyway, uh, I'm going to miss Italy, Spain, and uh, I forgot what the third one was. Turkey. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to miss them at, at World Cup. I, I was bummed yeah. to see them there and, and generally see more teams as a general fan. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, something we mentioned in terms of fans brings us onto our next hot take. Americans won't be able to handle European heckling. I mean, how many do y'all get? That's my big question. Like, <laughs> throw me, throw me like a. This is pretty like. Don't list names, but maybe throw me a heckle that you've heard or said. Uh, that that's like, all right, this is about as mean as it gets. Like, how mean spirited are the heckles? Because I I don't think that that mean like, especially in the UK, it's a lot of like sarcasm. Like I don't know, like <laughs> dry, someone, dry heckling. <laughs> like someone, someone like I don't know, goes for like throws a pass, and it's a really bad pass, and they're like, "Oh, great pass, mate!" Or like whatever, like something like that. That's the terrible example. So they're <laughs> teenagers. They're you, <laughs> you heckle like a skeptical teenagers. That's what it sounds like. What yeah. about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think it'll be fine. I feel like some. I feel like the 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 finals at especially at major league uh, quad ball championships. I feel like sometimes because the fans are a little further separated, so the crowds can really say shit and not really get heard by the uh, by the field as much. Um, whereas for USQ, people usually sit a little closer to the field, um, and it's more of like a communal thing. And people are straight up heckling people on the field, though it's not. It's usually not too bad. It's usually just people who are drunk. Um, and a lot of times they're unlikable. And I say that as someone who was a drunk heckler once and was pretty unlikable. <laughs> so uh, I've been there, done that. Um, I don't know. I I think it's a dumb take. I think it's going to be fine. I don't think there's yeah. going to be that much heckling personally. Like uh, maybe booing when people cheat, but that's just the thing you do to people. I don't know. Plus, like if you ever play quapple in Texas, like you'll know like the level of trash talk there, like the back chat with the Dude. referees and stuff. Like, is, yeah, is that's intense. rough. I, that's 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 god's country baby that's what we do down there that's in the bible uh no it's rough for sure i i mean it's not i haven't played down there uh in a while uh i've been chicago for a couple years now but um when i was down there i mean i definitely had moments in like games in like college and stuff you know 10 ish years ago or so where i'd get like cussed out in the game (laughs) i just can't like just absolutely get cussed out in the game it was like the wild west out there Contact rules were a thing of the future, I guess. And so we're thinking just willy nilly. Anyway, I think the heckling's going to be fine. I uh, Silly take. Yeah, I don't think it's a serious take because the, com- the community and the games in general aren't, aren't that kind of mean and, and heckle-filled trash talkers. But I'm not saying that in a wholesome manner. I've, for many years, in the most obnoxious way possible always said that i think we have a fundamental lack of that in the game so good luck please europeans bring it on we know the americans can can do it so as long as the spirit's good i love a good bit of high quality trash talk for the weekend yeah bring it on i mean that's what jackson john said in in, in his episode so uh yeah yeah, Hell yeah. i uh <laughs> oh oh that asshole uh <laughs> <laughs> hate that guy dude overrated um Please. I love that man. Uh, I love him to death. Um, uh, man, I forgot what I was going to say after that. Rip. Um, but that leads me on to the next take I've got, uh, which is, I guess, semi-related. Um, this take is, the lack of alcohol will actually affect the atmosphere for the negative. Ooh. Great take. Great take. Phenomenal take. I I am a firm believer. I don't even drink much. Um, I don't even drink much anymore. I definitely used to a lot more in college and when I lived in New Orleans because you can't not, you know? Um, it's a fun time. But 
I hardly drink anymore. And I truly think that quad ball is a fantastic drunk spectator sport, especially for casual spectators, people who might not know the, you know, the minutia of the rules. Let me tell you what, nothing takes away the anxiety and, uh, frustration of not knowing what's going on than like four beers and seeing someone dunk a ball and just going, Whoa, <laughs> hell yeah. Like it's that easy. Uh, yeah, I think it sucks. Alcohol rips for events like this. Uh, it really bums me out. It's not a bigger thing for, for, for like for major tournaments. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's something that I'm, I'm just quite funny about. Cause, um, so obviously we talked about the hacking and stuff and, there's going to be the the Bev squad, as they're called, the England fans, um, and Bev beverage like to have a bit of a drink. Um, so a couple of their leaders, who are shall remain anonymous on this podcast, of uh, they went to the effort of reading all the T's and C's for the venue, found out about the the dry nature of the venue, and I guess Virginia alcohol laws. They've they've looked through the full book, what's allowed, what's not allowed, mostly what's not Amazing. allowed. Like it's, I, I love the dedication and commitment to the cause. Um, but ultimately, it looks like. What'd you say they were called again? The Bev Squad. The Bev Squad. Oh yeah, we have one of those too. They're uh, they're called the San Antonio Soldados. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any any uh, any MLQ people listening to this, they're gonna. That was that was for you, baby. And I bet that hit. That was a banger. <laughs> people are gonna love that. I mean, even sober MLQ twenty nineteen, they were they were pretty rowdy. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's no way they're sober. Oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're rowdy. They're a rowdy bunch. I love I love them. Nice folks. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, rip rip to alcohol. I really wish they had it there. Hate to see it. Yeah, I, I think what you mentioned about the casual fans is the best part because we have a totally different perspective here, and that pretty much all Australian events are dry venues. It's you know, we have the real piss up social events afterwards, but I've like never seen alcohol on a precinct except a couple of hilarious times it was involved in gameplay more than it should have been, which is a whole bunch of story. Fuck, uh, that, bunch that's of fucking nerds, man. Is there, uh, is there no one yeah. doing shoeies in Australia? Well, I've already promised and demanded the state representative team I'm on this year that we must do shoeies if we win the state shield. So that's a whole separate <laughs> deal. But no, the actual tournaments themselves tend to be dry, so I don't really have a perspective on what it's like to watch drunk. I'm also too much of an autistic analyst oh, it's nerd great. to be drinking while watching. But for casual oh, it's, fans, it's yeah, so, so fun. Yeah, because while it's I... a big event for fans, I think that's where they should be allowed. Because in Australia, all events, it's only other players on site watching each other. Whereas there, there's going to be enough outsider actual fans that really you should be able to sell them a nice beverage to sit in the stands and watch with. Yeah, so I agree. I'd agree. Yeah, I'll uh, just say anecdotally speaking, watching drunk is a delightful time. Uh, as, a, as a player, getting let me tell you what, uh, as someone who was on a not good team for a long time, for different not good teams for a long time, uh, literally the best feeling in the world would be getting knocked out and then getting absolutely housed uh, immediately after. Just getting. Uh, what was the word he used? Piss face drunk, piss drunk, or whatever you said. That yeah. we got that. We got that immediately after. And then we go watch the finals and don't really watch the finals. And you watch it later on the much better stream than the spot yeah. you had watching it. That's well, my, that's yeah. the move. My crew Indeed. will be watching all night in a cold house in winter, so it's the best opportunity if I'm gonna get onto the beverages for World Cup, I think. 
That's true. Like, like if like, you're watching from here on the live stream, like you got to come up with some kind of drinking game. Obviously, you stay yeah. hydrated as well, but you know, drink responsibly. Yada yada yada. But uh, yeah, that that's the real opportunity for this, at this World yeah. Cup, fortunately. That's right. <laughs> and uh, this one, I think, is James <laughs> one that we're going to go through. Um, this tournament will actually be the last stand of the true old guards of European Quidditch slash quad ball. It's a nice way to end. Yeah, I think I don't think the UK is going to come away looking too hot after this. Uh, I think, granted, I don't know. I I felt like they were doing pretty bad for a while and have improved, uh, which sucks. But I think everyone else is just improving now at a much higher level. Um, I think the UK is is going to be down. I think France isn't going to be experiencing nearly as much success um, as they have in previous years. Yeah, I I'm with it. I'm I'm all on board, team. Team Germany, Team Belgium's looking pretty serious. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would have thought 2016 could almost be said to be that. Like, it depends what the old guard are. If we're talking UK and France and stuff, we already saw the rise of, like, Belgium and Turkey in 2018. I generally agree that I'm not sure this will be the UK or France's year, and I'm extra big on Belgium, Germany. I mean, the, the, the draw is complicated with that. But I do still potentially think Germany or Belgium are probably the best European team there. But I don't know what that means trend-wise. I think it'll probably loop back. I think the old guard will still be relevant. But now I think it's already been more complicated than an old guard for a few years now. You certainly saw that the last two European games. There's massive depth in Europe now and has been for a while. Yeah, I think it's it's... More so, I guess, one of the narratives behind the tournament in the this mm. World Cup. I think there, there were several players who were kind of set to retire after the, the original 2020 World Cup as it was planned, and then got yeah. pushed back, and it's prolonged some people's lives in the sport. So they have that big hurrah to finish on uh, with the World Cup, but yeah. there are a few names, sort of big names of the sport that I know were sort of on their way out. People like Lucy Q, for example, Louis mm. Lemit. Um, it's just a couple of names um, who are pretty much done after this this World Cup, unfortunately, which is a real shame. Um, but also understandable, they've committed a lot of time and effort to being some yeah. of the best players in the game. Um, and I mean, it's going to be interesting post World <laughs> Cup in terms of yes, I don't know, one country say for example, Belgium can generally win this World Cup, but then if a ton of their core players retire, where are they going to be come the next World Cup? Like. That's kind yeah. of the fascinating thing for next year and the years to come. I think that's something that as as the sport grows or hopefully grows and as time goes on, we're going to see kind of which NGBs are doing a good job of generating talented athletes that you know, end up playing for the national program and how much depth they have. I definitely think as of right now, it seems the U.S. and Australia are best suited for that. I, I mean, I'm sure because you're at play so often, they have like technically standing teams, but like Australia and the U.S. for who plays internationally so little, I think for them to have standing teams as often as they do and have things uh, programming to run those um, and just a lot of resources in those departments, I think, yeah, when 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 Louis leaves and, you know, and people like that start leaving those programs, how are they going to look versus a U.S. program where our rookies are already like elite players and in two or three years are going to be like somehow even better, you know? Yeah. That, that's where it's a proper changing of the guard if, like, the real 
old guard, even from teams like Belgium and Germany, that for old people like me are sort of the new wave of teams. If they all start retiring, yeah, like in two years' time, the next World Cup, will there be a, a team that by 2016 standards sounds as random as Germany or Turkey suddenly coming up through and being really good the way those two were in 2018? That's what I'm excited for. Yeah, like what, like random hot take here. I think we'll have, you know, a semi-finalist next World Cup that isn't even that this World Cup, which isn't that hot. Wow. We're probably going back to cool. Europe. But yeah, something like that will happen. You know, we'll suddenly <coughs> teams like Spain and Austria and Poland be powerhouses in that sense the take is a full-on yeah we're going to have a massive changing of the guard but it all depends on the future of those those really elite players and the current programs yeah it's kind of fascinating to look at the different programs as they are now going into this world cup and like the different stages they're at um like my kind of frame of reference is like nba basketball where like say i don't know you've got a team say like golden state for example who are just like in win now mode and they know they've only got a few more years left of doing this um mm. so that's that's like i don't know say the belgians or the englands of the world whereas say you've got a team like germany who are very much kind of in it for the long haul and yeah. i don't know could be a potential sort of like a nuggets kind of situation um sort of slowly developing over time um and then like there's there's also like countries kind of going through they've they've peaked and then they're now on that next stage of the cycle like i'd say mm. i look at the, well the u.s team which we'll obviously talk about later there's there's i think nine members of the 2018 world cup winning roster um as part of this year's team uh then you look mm. at the australia team i think there's there's four world cup winners on that um which yeah. shows that turnover N- new stars are coming into the game in australia and Although, well, obviously, we'll we'll see whether they are peaking now or whether they peak at another World Cup. But there's certain teams at different levels of that cycle. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the, I mean, you're going to mention the U.S. team is uh, very slowly but surely starting to, like, kind of matriculate out of of the program. You're starting to see these, these newer players come up, newer players who are like, you know, for example, like Darian Merchek Ellis mm, hasn't played international amazing. yet. Yeah, he hasn't played international yet. And he's going to be, I guarantee, a different kind of player than a ton of European teams or Australian teams have played. Um, yeah, he's it's just him. like, yeah, um, he's great. Um, and even then, like, there's a chance he might not play a ton. I mean, he yeah. in the big games Warriors played, he wasn't playing like huge minutes a lot of the time. Um, he's used very strategically. That's probably how they're going to use him as well. Feel like yeah. going to this, like you know, depending how he ends up playing internationally, but like, you know, we have we have players who are going to be done the next couple of years or two. A lot of the the Warriors Heat Cav that make up a lot of what probably going to see the lines uh, of the U.S. team. Um, you know, a lot of them are going to have pieces that over the next year, two years, three years are done. Uh, yeah. So there's a good chance there's even more players on this roster that are trying to probably win one more time and then are going to be done. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's hearsay yeah. and. I don't believe anyone's quit quad ball until they're done for actually ever. Well, I just won't believe it. So, so many people come back. Um, so yeah, I, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of turnover, but I also think, as I said before, that us and Australia are, are pretty well suited to, to maintaining the test of time. Um, I think more than other countries are, which is going to be nice, but there's definitely some small windows here at this world cup, I think for some of these other countries. Yeah. Uh, we definitely have a few legends and World Cup winners who are 
who have, pretty, have flagged pretty openly there in their last cycle as well, like Cal Mayling and Nat Askalosh. Someone like a Luke Derrick, you can never quite be sure. Like you said, he always sticks around, that fella, but there's definitely a few who are in their third or fourth and final go now, whether they know it or not when I look at some of them. Yeah, he's not going to do two more years. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to get to see how that figures out because obviously, like people, I've seen it so many times when people go, "Right, this is it, I'm done," and then they go to that big tournament that they're going to retire at and go, "Wow, that was really fun." Oh, the tournament mm. in a few months. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go to that. Like, yeah, cycle rolls on, you know. Um, so like, it is it's yeah. difficult to leave once you you got sucked yeah. in. <laughs> I think I think Australia has more clean breaks because we have so few of those tournaments. Like it's such huge effort financially and everything to get right back up for a whole another two year cycle. So there'll definitely be a few who it's their last World Cup. But that definitely happens at a domestic level where you think I'll stop here, I'll stop here, and everyone perseveres. Yeah, yeah true, like true. I mean, I mean, it was pretty common knowledge here that Warriors who won the club championship in the U.S. this year that they almost won a team at the beginning of the season, like, mm. they, you know, they had, they had people split off to spli- a slice who weren't a ton of players, but enough. Um, and then a lot of them just like, do we want to do it anymore? And uh, they ended up doing it and they want a you know, national title. So um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of players that are in that window, especially the really talented high level ones um, all across the world. It seems like. Yeah, true. I guess it's the price of like pushing yourself to the, those levels repeatedly and like, demanding so much from yourself like it, it's difficult to be able to do that over and over again and then to find time to recharge the batteries and yeah be fulfilled essentially yeah i uh when i played club ultimate here in the u.s i played in like new orleans and i had a uh, one of my teammates was like the people who are best at ultimate are just the people that like spend the most time on it right and I think there's definitely uh, – obviously, it's not always the case, but I think there's generally a truth to that of, like, usually at this level of where we're at as, as athletes, uh, it's usually a – you know, no one's doing this for, for a ton of money. No one's paying their bills off this. It's people who have the spare time, have the energy, have sometimes the resources to be able to put time into it um, and put in the time needed to play it, you know, insert level here. Um and that takes, I think it takes a lot on people. Um, definitely it's taken a lot on me, just like being coached for different teams. And I'm sure everyone feels this. Anyone that's been in any kind of leadership role or done any kind of like organizing, yeah. they feel it too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, very true. Uh, good, good discuss. A very serious discussion. Uh, we're going <laughs> to move on back to uh, another hot take. And these are more sort of, I guess, tournament predictions now. Um, yes. Kind of the theme at this point. So, There's that shit I like, Frazier. Yeah. I was telling you. I was telling you earlier. I'm not yeah. at, like uh, all the other podcasts. I'm a college coach. I'm a club coach. I got a. I got responsibilities now. That's a Rugrats reference. I don't know if y'all have that. <laughs> oh yeah, what? in Australia or in the UK. Uh, sick Rugrats reference. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can. I I can't ever talk shit, but I'm not affiliated with Team USA, so I'm about to. Well, let's do it. I'm ready to go. Go cool, go. Cool. Um, our first one that we're going to go with is from George Daring. He says, Team India will take the gold. Oh, I love you, George, but come on. Come on, dog. <laughs> Why are you going to do that to yourself? It's just, it's not, it's not India's fault. They're new to the, the tournament. Uh, you know, none of the players have ever played before. The fact they're organizing at all and doing it at such a, I think, a pretty good level. Uh, I think they're going to experience a lot of success, but uh, more than I think people are thinking they will. 
because I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with the American players that uh, some of these teams are pulling together, them and African nations. Yeah. Um, I think people are underselling a lot of the talent on these teams. Um, and I think they'll kind of see that at, at World Cup about how, how deep the U.S. goes, um, which I think a lot of European countries specifically are going to be really surprised by um, as far yeah. as seeing those players on other rosters. So I don't think India is going to get gonna sniff gold. Uh, I do think they're going to do pretty well. Um, I think way better than expected. Yeah, I, I think exactly the same. And that my immediate excited thought to that take is my own hot take for that is India will get out of their pool, I think, potentially. Is it it's top four advance or top three? Top three. Top three advance. So they'll have to beat Mexico, which off weather pending, looking at Pan Am results might be doable. And Austria, and I undersell Europe always, but the Austrian program doesn't feel like it's at a really strong point right now. And when I look at India and I see, you know, Raj Makanji and, you know, MLQ USQ champions and stuff and really solid and also like really solid Australian talent like Bianca Scalone is my club teammate who will be on that Indian team. There's, there's underrated talent everywhere across the rosters, like you're saying, yeah. Hold on, I'm trying to find uh, the Team India roster. It's, it's pretty interesting. They're definitely... Yeah, you got Naresh running the whole show. You got Raj there. There's there's big talent there. Yeah, uh, Naresh for people who maybe internationally don't know, because obviously you talked to him about Team India already. Um, I love Naresh. Uh, I think he's an extremely talented coach. He puts in a He's probably one of the hardest working coaches, if not the hardest working coach, probably in the sport over here. Um, just the amount of effort he puts into Rutgers, uh, the college team he he coaches and probably talked about on his pod. Um, he yeah, he is phenomenal. Um, I yeah. that's what makes Team India scary is that I I I will always be nervous of playing a team that is coached by Naresh, and no matter in what aspect mm-hmm. or format. Uh, Dude knows his shit, and I respect the hell out of him. Um, yeah. So definitely don't sleep on him as a coach. I think he's a way bigger help than I think a lot of people even realize from that. Yeah, yeah, true. And, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, U.S. talent on that team. Um, from the India episode, we had like a lot of U.S. college players um, that I think Naresh will know pretty well. And yes, although they might be spread out, they might not have played together at this level before. But having that familiarity already there, <coughs> having having that familiarity already there um, beforehand can kind of sort yeah. of, I don't know, kickstart that team um, before it's even landed in Richmond. And uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, I mean, I was I, I was gonna personally shout him out, uh, Nivash Jaram uh, from Columbia College, one of my college kids that I coach, uh, also also a player on Prowl. Um, I I. Not even saying this because I'm a homer for him, even though I am. I think he's going to have a really good showing. Um, I'm really excited for him. Uh, yeah, I think him and also uh, Ojas. Ojas, uh, I don't have to say his last name. I think it's Turikar. Uh, he's been a beater. He's on practice squad for Prowl. I think he's also like, especially with the, I think, transition play of European play. I think he's really going to succeed playing teams like Austria and playing teams like mm-hmm. France. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for those two in particular. Um, and there's a lot of other names we mentioned earlier that are George Deering, you know, the one that said the comment, uh, is from, from Michigan, uh, smart, smart program. Um, and he was like a good part of their leadership for a big part of their success. So you have, again, uh, a team, I think people are sleeping on cause they haven't been around much, but they're, yeah. they're spooky. And- I, I, I totally think India can make it out. 
Uh, I think it'd be very yeah, possible. Good draw. I really like their draw. I think they're going to have a good time. Yeah, so it's one of those teams that are very difficult to place, but with the talent there, and like they get the right, they get the right kind of chemistry flowing. Can finish genuinely anywhere between sort of second or well, if things go wrong, fifth. Like it's it's a real mixed bag. Yeah. Um, so definitely uh, an interesting one to follow. Um, so we're going to go on to our next hot take. Um, and there's a few kind of around the same topic, um, but it's about one of the other new ta- new teams. So Brandon Clark says, more prediction than hot take, African nations versus Belgium will be within two scores and African nations come out on top with the catch. So, essentially a big upset Ooh. day one. I, I'll be honest, I think it's super possible. Um, I don't, again, I just said it, I really don't think people realize how deep the town in the U.S. is. Um, yeah. And the fact that, I mean, obviously, if you've been around a while and you pay even a little bit of attention, you notice some former Team USA names on the African Nations roster. Um, Tyler Walker, James Hicks. Um, oh, man, I have a roster up here, too. Yeah, James Hicks was also on Team USA. Uh, Quincy Hildreth was on Team USA. Um, and then you have players who just want a club championship with warriors. Like these aren't slouches. Like some of these players mm. are extremely talented, um, and play at a really high level on the same field and hold their own against team USA players. Uh, I think yeah. people don't realize that the team USA program isn't far and away the best team. There's the developmental Academy of all just the talented college players who are going to be playing like international friendlies with people the week of world cup. And I think are going to probably do really well. And then there's also all these other club players and all these other levels of players who, again, play at a really high level in MLQ and, you know, in the club circuit. Um, yeah, I think African Nations has a very good chance to 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 really do work here. Uh, I I think they have a really high ceiling so far as they even like could sniff a medal game, I think is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I, I think someone else posted a hot take that they weren't going to do well. And I think yeah, those people. Uh, are, I was I about to mention that the fools, the, absolute fools. Yeah, one of our anonymous takes was that the African nations hype is ridiculous. Uh, they will not even make it to the championship round, and they'll finish fourth or fifth in their group. So, two contrasting opinions about this team that mm. we haven't seen play yet. But I, <laughs> no offense, Frazier, I think they're going to trash Hong Kong. Uh, and that's and I, I say that also. Congrats on getting Tim Kwan, uh, my boom oh, train teammate. I love that man. <laughs> great teammate, great person. He's going to be a fucking doctor one day. Sorry if you can't cuss on the pod. I've been really letting him go. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, congrats on getting him. I think African Nations is going to, I think, easily beat Hong Kong. Norway might be tougher, but I think it's still going to be a good win. And then uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if U.S. is even de- a decent game for a while before the U.S. Mm-hmm. maybe pulls away. And then Belgium, similarly. I just... I think Belgium's going to struggle with depth is something I've I, I noticed even since 2018. I think they've improved their gaps a little bit, but um, I, I I definitely think that, um, that they're going to struggle a little bit uh, depth wise. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of, again, a lot of talent on this African nations team. I'm really excited about also people coming out like secret game and how it matters now. Uh, Darren career is an old name out of like VCU and, played for like you know, Washington teams and stuff, DCQC and whatnot. This dude's like huge. This guy is one of the scariest speakers I've ever gone against. And that was when I was finishing in like good form, um, good form back in the day and going around a lot and going against a lot of the best people. He's one of the best I've ever gone against. He's enormous with super long arms. Like 
I would not want to go against him if I was a team in stitch range or flag runner range. Yeah. I don't know if y'all changed the words too in other countries, but don't sleep on him. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. I, I think it's conceivable African nations could miss, could not get out of the pool just because it's the crazy pool of death. But I don't think it'll happen. I, yeah, I agree. I think they'll beat Norway. I have them beating Belgium, coming second in the pool, getting a four or five seed, and then beating a France or a UK in the quarterfinal. I think that's genuinely yeah. likely. I tend to, I have biases here, but they're not the biases people think. Well, certainly people know they like to shit talk Europe, and they think that's coming from a pro-Australian kind of position, which it is, but it's actually more <laughs> that I follow the US game so closely, so I'm almost a bit, as big a US stand here as Tab, because I, I've been saying to everyone who will listen the same thing, which is, I love some of Europe's programs. I love some of the community and some of the elite players, but I don't think anyone there, or frankly, some of the people in the Australian setup understand how far ahead of the pack the US basically is and always has been because, you know, 2016 was an anomaly in a number of ways. And those privy know that the American program had some issues at the time. And I just think we're going to find out more than ever here, how much better than everyone around them, all these US college and club stars that aren't national team level are get like you know, India is an example but again that African nations team I'm not sure I don't know as well and Fraser can attest to it better but I'm not sure there's more than a handful of players in Europe better than Tyler Walker better than James Hicks better than Zach Armand trading you know all those guys so I think they're every chance of just smoking everyone and I don't think it's inconceivable that you have the embarrassment of an US versus African nations final in the end yeah, super cool, but also a problem. I'll say this right now too: like you have kind of how the Team USA roster is built, where it's like lines of club teams um, or yeah. major league quad ball teams. You're uh, there's like kind of there's like pockets of lines here, right? There's two or three players who play on the same team and can play together, or have played before. But like, I'm just telling this is a warning for like all the European teams for people who don't know. Like, if you don't know like Lee Hodge's name before going yeah. into this, like, dude, you're screwed. <laughs> like, yeah. he's a phenomenal point defender. He's like a phenomenal tackler. He's scared, one of the scariest defenders in the game uh, over here in the U.S. And the fact that people have no idea who he is going into this and think that they can just like walk through this game or like not be worried about this team to me is insane. Like same mm. with Obi. Like he's what dude's one of the biggest scores for the uh you know, the North division champion, like three years running, like he's a stud. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of talent. Quincy on team USA, same oh, thing yeah. with like Charlotte, just a great offensive talent. Like it, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, also one of my former college players and Nia Tillard going to keep shouting out the kids. L- l- love getting them on the rosters, but uh, yeah, I, anyone that thinks they're not going to do well, I think is going to be sorely mistaken. Yeah, I think what what I will say on the I, I can't say too much obviously is uh I'm I'm playing the, all these teams. Um, but what I would say about this African Nations team is like what I've picked out in terms of what I know about the US game and like a lot of these players is that this is a star-studded keeper chaser line. There's some big names in here. Um, that mm. like I've I've followed for years, like the likes of Obi, yeah, Quincy Hildreth. Um, Lee Hodge, like players like that, that like have kind of flown under the radar outside of the US. Um, but then, yeah, the beta game, like I just don't know what to expect from from this team. Like, yes, we know Tyler Walker is incredible. Like the the kind of the peak that Tyler hit in 2016, 2018 is incredible. Yeah. Um, but I don't know who Tyler's going to be playing with. Um, and I think that's a concern from a, a beta perspective. 
which I think if you're looking oh. at Belgium as a direct comparison, like, yes, you've got a Louis playing there, but then you've got Louis partner, say, like, Yona Peans, for example, is a phenomenal female beater. Like, Elizabeth Is Frank she 88? On, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, she's a monster. She's a monster, and her and Louis both do the same thing where they make beats uh, that stop goals, and then they shake their finger at them, like uh, <laughs> like Matumbo style. Oh, I ate that shit up. I was such a fan. Oh, I was, yeah. yeah, she's great. Good. Big fan. Uh, 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 big fan of her. Yeah, it's like Elizabeth, Yona, two fantastic players. I mean, like, Yona's come on leaps and bounds in the last few years, sort of start a lot later than a lot of these Belgian players and Elizabeth's just been absolute rock for that team for many years. Mm. So they're two massive players for the Belgian team. I, I I will say as far as who's can beat for them, I think Walker's obvious. In my opinion, if Walker can match with Louis on the field, just like play the similar time slots. uh, I actually am a huge fan of Louis sub the, um, that came in in the 2018 final or yeah, 2018 finals. World Cup. Don't remember his name. Yeah. I think it was a bald dude. Uh, Tim, he played. Yeah, Tim Van Hoeger, but Yeah. Yeah, he had a. I thought a almost game game changing performance. While the first like five possessions of that game are them just getting pressed nonstop. Louis, I think, had a little bit and made some plays. And after that, the sub happened, and it was a different game for a hot minute. Um, yeah. So and I, yeah. yeah, I can imagine that he's developed well since then. Yeah, I've I've. I can only imagine that he's developed well. I assume, yeah, I assume he's still on the team. Um, if my thing is, I think African Nations has Amani Burton is a sleeper player as well. Uh, he played some time on Boom Train. He's actually played around a, a little bit, like because he's moving for work and for school and whatnot. But talented player, playing for a while. I think he's gonna have a really good, a really good World Cup. Um, I think if Amani can match that that second string they throw at them, I think there's enough depth here with like Aaron like Gaber Michael played for Texas A and M. Um, has played on, I want to say he was on outlaws at 1.2. Um, and isn't like an elite player, but is good enough to where he's definitely a good third string beater. You know what I mean? Um, throw in Christian Barnes, who literally, again, just won a club championship playing beater and played huge minutes, at least in the semi against us. Um, they got looks like it, it might not be as elite as like, you know, the Jackson Johnson's Daniel Williams, but they have very good beaters who, especially if they play a certain way or they have some kind of direction or form, like they can take you off guard again. I just, I, I can't hype this team up enough because I am really excited <laughs> for it. Um, and I, I truly think people aren't expecting them to be as good as they are. Yeah. Yeah. True. And like another aspect wants to bring up sort of in light of this particular matchup, um, it's, it's going to come down also to the flag runners at this tournament because in the seeker game, yes. Belgium have, two of the best seekers in Europe in Laurent Benkelier and Victor Marx. Like Victor Marx is phenomenal and half the time doesn't get, okay, but, get on the field. But how tall are they? Lauren is is catching. They're, they're, they're tall guys. Whereas like, I don't but know. Like, how tall? We, we don't know who we're getting <laughs> like in terms of the flag runners at this tournament and how that's going to favor certain teams yeah. and certain types of seekers. I, I will say this watching film from international games is I think the seeker game is called very differently. Uh, specifically in the yeah. terms of catches that are called off or let go because of charges or charges that weren't called. It's pretty weirdly called in the U.S. and pretty, uh, what's the word, not consistent. Um, it's pretty inconsistent here. Uh, and I think it's even worse. I mean, my, this is a super hot take. And <laughs> before I say it, I want to preface it with information. That is one, in general, 
uh, I do think the U.S. is you know the best for like insert logical reasons. At the same time, I'm also I I love a lot of European teams. Like, I'm a big Germany fan. I think they're gonna have a really good World Cup. I'm really excited for them. I'm a big Australia fan. Um, and I I'm I'm higher on foreign Quidditch I think than most Americans are. Um, mm-hmm. And I watch again. I'm watching more of it than I think more, most Americans. Um, at the same time, this is a, this is an anecdotal thing. I think yep. in 2016 that if you call off that, if you're gonna call off Tyler Trudeau's catch, but not was it Damian Osborne's catch that won yep. them at for a charge? I thought that was pretty crazy. <laughs> I I'll, thought that I'll was you, insane. I'll tell you, as Australians here, we. Yeah, we, we love it and embrace it in that way, but we tend to think the same thing. We know we got a good lucky one out of that. As a Newcastle original who was a club teammate of the great man Damo at the time, he was our seeker on my team then. So we knew that he always had that semi-charge in him, and we, he'd had that call in Australia with a bit of softer refereeing quite a lot. It was a charge that he probably would have got called off 70% of the time if he made it at home as well for my team. Yeah, it was. And so I think that's something to note. Um, as well as I'm, I, I just started looking at the like IQA differences. I know that y'all's rule is like, if the winning team after the catch happens, uh, catches and the game's over, they win. All right. Yep. If they're like the most points. And then if the losing team catches, then it's a set score from 30 more than the team who leading caught score, question yeah. mark. Oh, the leading the, score. The leading, that makes more yeah. sense. Leading. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, I think the slight difference in like what we do for MLQ and for USQ, I think puts, uh, I don't know. Do y'all think it makes you value the seeker more or less? I'm curious y'all's thoughts. Less than it used so to, the, but more than the US. So ours, it, oh, sorry, say it again. I think the seeker is less valuable now than it used to be potentially, but still way more important than the US. Because in IQA rules, you need to catch at some point. In the US, you don't. You can get there yeah. at proper point. Yeah. Uh, I think the difference is here is just the level of parity in a lot of these mm. games is going to be a little different. Um, I think you'll see some competitive games and a lot of blowouts, um, which here it's mostly blowouts and then like two or three competitive games at the end of a tournament. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be a little more balanced at the end level here uh, in the top four or five teams. But um, yeah, I'm really interested to see strategy then. I'm interested to see what snitches we get, what flag, what flag runners we get. Um, I really, depending on who it is, could be like, oh, they're all getting caught within 30 seconds or, wow, they're all going for a very long time. Um, we have some really big, talented snitches here. Depending who actually shows up could be a huge, huge difference in how teams play uh, that part of the game. Yeah, it's definitely a big factor. Um, like I know from 2014, the Global Games in Canada, a lot of the UK players at the time came back and going, whoa, like some of those snitches were crazy. Like, just nothing like we really have over in Europe. Um, but then obviously the standard of seeking has definitely got better at the same time. Um, it's just a question of, in terms of the physicality side of things, whether the seeking can kind of keep up with that, I think. Mm. Your, your snitches yeah. are huge, man. That's all yeah, we have some big ones. The U.S. snitches that I've seen in like big U.S. stuff are just monsters. Just it must be a lot of that just American football and wrestling stuff. Just real massive, my build kind of round fellas. So I think, oh, he can't be athletic enough, and then they just do ridiculous things and are so damn strong, and you just can't get them. 
Yeah, yeah like I, the guy that did the 2018 World Cup final that Harry caught fairly quickly. He's like he's pretty popular in the UK, right? He's pretty good out there, I think. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, he um he would be like average size, I think, for a lot of cinches yeah. here, like especially at the higher level games. I mean, you start seeing guys like Justin Guillory, who's just like short yeah. and stocky and just near and pot. Like, I think he just had an MLQ series and he went uncaught the whole time. Um, mm. He has crazy long games a lot of the times pre preset score. Um, Gabe Garces, who just, I think, played his last season. I doubt he's yeah. going to World Cup to snitch. He just like actually played. He used to just snitch. He was a huge one. I mean, he's part of the reason they put in like time caps and stuff for, yeah, they, they for how it should go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was wild. I mean, I was, I, I remember playing, I mean, I used to have him versus snitch all the time. You know, like I was in his region. We go to tournaments together. So I'd have games where we had like a 50 minute game, you know, because he was yeah. just out there having a good time. One arm, no arm handicap, still not being yeah. caught. Um, if Justin Barnard goes, you know, like he's in the oh, DC, yeah. big guy, you know, he's been doing it for a while and you've know, been doing some high level games. Um, yeah, there's some just like some really big, talented snitches out there. I just don't know how which ones are going to World Cup in particular. Oh, yes. Same sort of memories there. You talk about you know, my man, Damian Osborne, you mentioned before the Australian hero, some of the snitching work he used to do out here. I was involved in a tournament that had a a real-time two-hour, ten-minute game because no one could catch that bastard demo. And but yeah, the the American standard is so high. I expect in general the snitching standard to be the highest ever been in the World Cup, and the game lengths to be longer potentially. We'll I'm we'll see. Yeah, it, <laughs> we'll see about that. that. It mean, is it is. I'll be honest with you, just as as someone who you know will go to these like high-level you know U.S. nationals, MOQ championships. It it. It, it really depends like mm. some it really depends on just there's a few good ones and then there's a lot of very bad ones yeah the, the um, variance is massive yeah but yeah the it's it sucks and it's getting worse and worse here you know, i don't know if that's comparable in other countries at all but i think the quality of i think there's just less people who spend time dedicating to it it's usually yeah. a thing a player on a team does just to do practice you know but like mm. back back when i was coming up it would be like like there was a point in time where our team was just dog shit. We were so bad. Uh, we were horrible, but three of us or, or two of us in particular, we got really good at snitching. You know, two of us got invited to snitch it, uh, at global games in 2014. Um, and my teammate at the time, Atafia like Umana, one of the greatest chess players to ever live. I'll say it till the day I die. He, um, he, uh, was really talented as well. Um, and yeah. it was nice that there are people who are dedicating time to it, which just is not a thing hardly at all anymore, at least in the U S yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see the sort of development of that and also how the national teams have prepared for it and kind of what they have up their sleeve in that regard um now moving on to well we're still on pool a um this take from andrew kavanagh muller uh says pool a will sweep the podium so we're looking at usa belgium african nations top three at the end of day two in in some form of order what, what do you reckon Nah, I think I I'm really high on Australia and probably even Germany. I I would take both of those probably over African nations, um, and I think over Belgium. I'm I like Belgium. I'm not super high on them to win the whole thing. I think they'll do well in their pool. I think they'll have convincing games early bracket. I think they bow out against someone who goes to the final four to the finals. Yeah, don't think it'll happen, but it's obviously the one pool that is possible. It's the stacked pool, True. and I think True. that could. 
I, I, I said it's elsewhere. I think depending how it plays out, that pool could have the like best and then potentially second or third best, depending how African nations go. And then fifth and sixth best team there, like depending how the UK and France go, that legitimately could be four of the six or seven best teams in one pool. It's a nasty pool. And I think honestly could... rip. I feel like Norway probably like, I really liked what I saw from Norway. What are the European games? Yeah. I think um, yeah, they, I was really surprised by them. Pool. And so, yeah, really bummed. Uh, I think if they were in a different position, it'd be a different story. And I think that's the hardest pot three draw for anybody kind of by far. By far yeah. I'd rather take yeah, a Canada or an Austria over Norway. So yeah. Yeah. That's why the pool's so nasty. It's by far the hardest pot three and pot five. Yeah. Dude, that pot, yeah, that's rip. <laughs> that's the worst pot. That's one of the worst pot five draws I've ever yeah. seen. And I would hate that. Yeah, um, and that's why I called out Belgium as having the worst draw, because even though they're also good, yeah. they're not the absolute strong pot two team. I think arguably that's Germany, whereas all three they've drawn around them in one, three, and five, USA, Norway, African nations, are all clearly the best team in their pot, probably. So it's yeah, Belgium they're going to have little fights get out of the group. I also are. think that Belgium's best players are going to have to play a lot more minutes than they probably would have had to had they played less talented teams. And I think that's really going to hurt them getting out of their pool and even in bracket, if they do make it like, like how's, how's, how's Louie going to feel, you know, like, I think that's going to be a huge, a huge indicator or like how, how damaged is Seppi, right? Mm. Yeah. I think they'll get out of the pool fine, but how gassed will they be? Yeah. 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 It's definitely gonna be an interesting factor. Um, speaking about other pools, uh, we've got our take from Rick Wasser, who says oh. thermostat might be broken here, but England will underperform. Someone commented or asking for clarification of like what are expectations for them, and yeah. like, did they make the final for European games? Question mark. They, won it. they played. Yeah. They won oh, they won it. it. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, Germany, yeah. <laughs> you're right. I remember the final, England, Germany, and the semi was Germany, Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember watching that game, and I also watched this uh, last EQC. Um, I I don't think England's going to do that well. Uh, I truly just don't think they have – I don't think they're on par just about anywhere in the game. I think the closest thing is in the beater game, and even then, I just like – I yeah, I, I think they're going to underperform because I don't think they're going to – just do well uh i yeah i think they make it out of their pool i wouldn't be surprised to see them not make it out of their pool well that is a hot take (laughs) that that is a big take because just because i think the great advantage for england is i think they've got a pretty friendly draw i still think they'll win their pool and potentially if like the if australia germany this is the problem i have i always go on these rants the problem i have with the seeding (laughs) method and not predetermining who plays who in the next round because of Australia-Germany being such a tight game in that pool, because of the stacked pool A, I think England is tracking to potentially be a one seed without even needing to be that good, depending how good France are. And that gives them benefits in the final. So I think England will probably find a way to like shithouse to a semi-final or something. But in the end, if it came down to like an England versus... Once England find the US, I think they're going to get destroyed. And yeah, in the end, I don't think in a pure hierarchy they're going to be as good as Australia, Germany, or Belgium. I agree. I have them as the maybe the sixth best team there, but they've got a really good draw. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think I think when you consider going like and like how the bracket's going to look, and yes, they're the variable draw. Again, I, 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 if you had to ask me what they're going to do, I would say they probably win their pool, maybe get 
at worst second or third. I just, I also think there's a chance like, again, this team India, this team Mexico Mm. that have just enough talented players that, you know, they can go on a run. Also something else that I think is going to be huge, 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 huge is I think the U S team and then the players on international rosters are so much more prepared to press for resets than anyone else. And I think it's, I I think at the highest level, it'll probably be fine. Uh, But I think the difference is going to be made in the mid tier teams playing each other. And the, because I think the lack of adaptability is going to struggle. Like I think the beaters from Mexico and India could really press some shit out of France and Austria and maybe even England, you know, like mm. I like that reset rule we've been playing with now in MLQ, it's even stricter. You can't even go over the midline at all. Once you pass, like these are players who've mm. been playing that rule set for a couple months and have been playing the no reset or one reset at all for years at this point. Yeah. Like I, that fundamentally changes the game. If you think about that 2018 final with us and Belgium, the first like five, six possessions I mentioned earlier were like all presses. And yeah. some of those would have been a lot different had there been that reset role. So I, yeah. that's, that's why, that's why I'm worried about any team that hasn't done it at least a long time. And why I think, even though England, I think has the best chasers and beaters in this pool, I think is susceptible enough to where if a team gets yeah. hot, goes on some runs, one guy goes in, drops 20, 30 real quick, comes out, like people hang around a little too long. That's why like, I think England's the most susceptible to that of all the teams, even though they got a favorable draw. Yeah, it's kind of wild yeah. looking back at the 2018 footage because that was pre-reset rule in the IQA rulebook. And you watch it and go, oh, that crossed halfway. That's a reset. Oh, and it went again. That's another reset. Yeah. Like the, the gameplay has changed so much in this kind of time span that we've had. And it didn't really, really click to me until I watched back those games recently. Um, it's quite wild to think. Yeah, uh, I like England's program. I think they're well coached. I think they'll have something new we're not ready for. Yeah, like I think they'll bring more than we've seen. But I agree that I haven't seen much evidence so far. Make you see, and even the Europe. You know, I used to. I became a meme lord in UK circles for this. <laughs> but even at European games, I think they won while clearly being the third best team there. They dropped a game yes. in pool play to Germany. They shouldn't have. They were awful for sequences of that final. And Australia. I agreed. I thought Germany looked way better. Yeah. With Callum Mailing getting COVID two days before the tournament and others who couldn't afford the flight over, Australia was the only team there to not be behind on quaffle points at any stage for any second other than like the first goal of the Italy game. And we got fair enough good on because they're great. Germany just got us in snitch range because they played a really genius tactical game for how to keep us in check. And then England basically went on two massive tears with bludgeon control. And there's a sequence in the final there where when the U, when England didn't have larger control and Germany scored on seven consecutive possessions. And if you translate that to like larger control on with US players and the press, yeah, there's going to be some deadly sequences where Dupont's get blown the hell out. But I hope I like their coach. I like their program. I hope they bring something special. Yeah, it, well, as someone who's sort of seen firsthand how the England team's preparing, like it's a very yeah, well-organized setup. Like yeah. this player has been playing for it's years. Like there's a lot of chemistry there. Also a lot of depth. Like we mentioned their beta core and like they have so many different looks that you throw in at beta, whether it's Bill Orridge um, or Dan Trick or Lucy Q or yeah. a Kerry Aziz. Like there's, there's a different kind of approach they can apply. And I don't know all the minutiae of the beta game, 
I guarantee that Alice Walker, Seb Waters as coaches will have a good idea of what they're looking for there. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, like, I, feel I really, like, that I really like the beer game in kind of these difficult sort of close encounters that which we might get in day one against France, who knows? Yeah. Um, speaking of the French, um, our next hot take is that France will not advance, was well, a little rhyme there, um, past the first championship round, so that the quarterfinals... Um, <laughs> not the hot. The quarterfinals. Yeah, not, not spicy. Hot. Not spicy enough. Come on. <laughs> I think the spicy one there would be that they don't make, their at all, don't make that face at all, which is what you mentioned before about that group and the potential you've got out of yeah. those teams below it. So I, I, I think, think they'll... Uh, yeah. I think Mexico and India are just so primed to steal away one, maybe even two of those spots that we think are going to go to the, I think Austria is obviously the most susceptible. I mean, in order they're the most susceptible, right? Austria, France, England, that's how a fucking pool's built. But um, I really do think England is, is not on an ivory tower. I I think things could go awry for sure. Yeah. I think, again, I think because of this easier group, I think France will get out fine because I don't, see Austria pushing them in the end and they could do something against England. So if it falls right, France could top the group and then, you know, the seeding starts getting interesting. Like France, to me, the only way they make the semifinals is they beat England, win an easy-ish group and therefore get a friendly high seed and have like an easier quarterfinal that they might get through. But even then, once you're at quarterfinals, if you're playing a 7-8 seed, that's going to be a team like Belgium or Canada or someone like that who could totally beat France. So... Yeah, I'd be, I'd be fairly pleasantly surprised if France made a semi-final. My only my only caveat on France is European games wasn't a, wasn't representative. They had a lot of injuries and issues and interesting dramas I heard about that made them well under strength. Yeah, they're they're going to be I think a little bit undervalued at this tournament compared to previous World Cups. Um, oh, hurry! Kind of a bit of roster changeover. Uh, the the lack of Etienne Pogu is like a big hole in their beta game. Just a phenomenal player. Um, but I yeah, I feel like I feel like the best way that I can describe this French team, in my opinion, um, is that if you follow EQC, the club game, this French team is very reminiscent of the Paris Frog team in Europe. In the yeah. they they have some serious talent within their roster, and they can compete with just about anyone for a certain amount of a game. Um, it's just whether once they cycle through that depth, can they keep up with these other nations? Um, like having having the likes of Albert Brajo still around, having the likes of Lenny Vincent on the team, um, more yeah. again, Tarzan as their seeker. Like they they have this top top tier talent, but how long can those players play for in those big games? Like how long can they sustain that? And yeah, the they they could very much like sort of get the maximum out of those players and get a win against an England or a Germany or the, the other nations we've seen. Um, I think against Norway, Norway played a phenomenal game against them last year, but France found a way to win that. And I think the French are very good at finding a way to win. Um, so definitely a team not to underestimate um, completely. Uh, cool. Let's see what more we got. Um, but before we move on to our next take, we haven't really talked about Group C. There's no hot takes on Group C. So, uh, James, you got any thoughts on that as a Australia in that pool? I can understand why it feels pretty conventional. Group C. It's just gonna. 
that Australia Germany game is going to be mad hype, but it's pretty clearly going to be the top of the group, I'd say. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, just in, I think from an Australian perspective, it's probably ideal in many cases. Um, like you've got two quite sort of fun, interesting games there with sort of Brazil and Japan as sort of two of the new yeah. developing nations, and we don't really know what to expect from either of those particularly. But then you've got Germany and you've got Canada, and Canada's playing pre-match gender throughout the whole tournament, as is Australia. And then you've got Germany who are matching whichever team they play. So if, well, if Australia and Canada are playing pre-match, so are Germany. So those from a gameplay perspective, stylistically, will be really interesting to watch. And yeah, after Ooh. what Germany did last year, I'm, I'm sure uh, I'd uh, quickly message uh, Cam Walker, uh, a few days ago, and he was saying how pumped this Australia oh, team yeah. is for that rematch and how disciplined and prepared they are to to play the Germans again. Oh yeah, my, my man Cam wants them Germans. He he's a good matchup for him actually. Uh, I'll say this too, just because it uh, it came up a little bit, uh, and especially especially if we see the Germans running it again. But like, but I I remember seeing on the. On the rules and regs, you guys are uh, starting to do the the whole hoop zone thing, huh? Oh yeah, that, that's come back. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> man, that's man, y'all are late. Uh, yeah, just people are very upset about it, and I I saw teams struggling with it. Um, I this is a warning. As a warning, I guess to to all the foreign teams of um, there's a lot of lines on on Team USA that could run a lot of different defenses. And depending mm. how depending how clear cut they go, or how kind of how complicated they decide to go, uh, obviously the coaching choice. Um, like I would not be surprised to see at one point like a two two, a one two one, and then like a hoop zone all in like a ten to fifteen minute span. Yeah, and I'm so. I think that's going to be one of the biggest differentiate. Or like differentiating moments between the team USA and the team USA between the USNT and just about anyone else. Um, I think, I think it's less going to be a talent margin. It's less going to be a skill margin or even a strategy margin. And I think it's going to be an like an adaptability margin and just an experience with these things that just other countries just aren't doing as much yet for whatever reason. A lot of it has been the rule set, right? Like a lot of things we do are products of the MLQ rule set or the USQ rule set that's changed the similar of what IQA is now, but for like three years. Um, yeah. And I think that's going to be a huge thing. But there's, I'll say this, there are really things about, especially European quad ball that I really like watching Germany, uh, Germany and Belgium or two. I think about this a lot, uh, but y'all love, I keep saying y'all, uh, but y'all love driving driving into the paint and taking what I would call low percentage shots, but just making them, which makes them high percentage shots, like under contact. Mm. And that's something that does not happen in the U S hardly ever. It's people driving and dishing or people taking shots that are more or less wide open from the outside. You like the people will run into person, take a tackle and mid tackle, finish a shot. And that just does not happen with the same regularity and I think y'all are so good at doing it, especially in transition, that I think even if the U.S. plays what we think is good defense here in the U.S., uh, you know, players from Belgium, players from Germany, even Australia will be able to score. Um, and I think that's what keeps those games close, less than like 
even though I think the U.S. is like arguably the most organized, you know, like defense or offense, I think they struggle with those aspects of like European play that I think is offensively way more physical. Like I mentioned the the Callum mailing dra- dragging Sam Hamowitz, right? Yeah. Or like just how much attention he personally takes when he drives in because he like does it with physicality. I think that's something that I'm really excited about the European teams to bring to the table and to see how that plays out. But I know I got on the topic. I just wanted to point that out because I, I really do love that about European quad ball. And historically I haven't liked just about anything about European quad ball. So <laughs> super, super stoked to find things I like about what y'all are doing over there. Yeah. Yeah. True. I, I think, yeah. I think Australia also, even because we often look at the U S and think, wow, they've got some shot makers, but they're more like open shots than in, in contests. But yeah. Yeah, I think Australia is also, we've been we're super drive heavy because of all the physicality. We, we've also not had that, that free shooting kind of low percentage game the Europeans have. And as far as I know, not being central to the program and not that I would disclose much if I was, but I'm pretty sure Australia's done a lot of work on becoming a bit more European in offense there. And I know that we've, ta- we've, we've, we're taking some serious shooters this time, some real ballers who can pump some shots from serious distance more than we ever have before. I suppose people like mailing who are basically, they do the same two things every time on offense, people like mailing. It's just so damn good, you still can't stop it. But we've got some alternate kind of looks this time, I would say. Uh, you, you know, what's the Bruce Lee quote? It's like, I, I don't fear the man who's done a thousand punches. I fear, I fear the man who's done one punch a thousand times. So, yeah. you know, like, I, I guess that kind of applies in that situation. Yeah, it certainly applies to Cal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of bringing things now on to... I'll probably say it's the most controversial hot take of the episode. Yeah. Um, well, t- two of them are basically the same. Um, so the US have their weakest roster going into tournaments since 2016 and will not make the final. And the other hot take related to this is the US will be disadvantaged having not played a meaningful, challenging game since the 2018 final. European teams have had two European games and multiple EQCs and international friendlies in that time. And we much stronger than the US will expect them to be. Thoughts? I'll start and just say, who the fuck cares? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it comes to the point where, and I mentioned this earlier, like most of Team USA, uh, a lot of the, the success that the programs had comes from the fact that they put together lines from some of the best teams in the country. Like just looking at the roster, you have lines from the National Club Champion Warriors, you have lines to be thrown together for THC Heat, who won last year. And then you have, you know, one, the Calvary line that's won several times. Um, and again, they could, as I mentioned earlier, if they wanted, could all three play different defenses. The Warriors 1-2-1, Cav can play a hoop zone, uh, Heat could play a 2-2 or even marking if they wanted. Um, and then you have a lot of talented players who can plug in and fill roles and like add to things. Um I, I don't think that matters at all. I, I truly don't think that playing an international team, like you don't play with a team of 21 on the field at one time. You play with a team of six at most seven. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you have most of those people have played together and won a championship together and played together for years, like you, you don't need everyone on the team to have played together a bunch. And as far as it, I'm going to keep ranting as far as it being a weak <laughs> roster trash take. And that again, I, I'm pretty critical of the USNT overall. And I, I definitely was in the roster in 2016 um but like this is a pretty damn good roster there's very few weaknesses in it at like any level as i said before it's like really versatile and what looks they can have there's 
a lot of height. There's good tackling. Like there's speed. There's a lot of different variations for like offenses and defenses. This team could run. The only weakness I would say that if I was a team scouting like USNT, I would pick up on is the fact that Max Havlin and Lulu Zhu have been probably the most successful beater pair for Team USA ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackson and Bailey had a really good set in that first beginning of the 2018 uh, final. And Max and Lulu went out and tore it up. And then when Jackson Bailey came back in, they couldn't hang as much anymore. Uh, Max and Lulu are just wildly consistent. Without Max, Lulu is still a phenomenal player. She's one of my favorites. Um, but even then, like Bailey Field, she hasn't played a ton. She's been pretty uh, pretty out with injuries the past, like, I think, year or so. Kind of in and out, doesn't play a lot. Really, it's just high-level stuff. Um, and then Celine, Celine from the Aviators uh, and from Terminus, who is new to the team this year and has never played internationally before. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be uh, really struggling for them on how to figure out how to maximize people like Tate K, Jackson Johnson, Daniel Williams, uh, with maybe not necessarily their beater partners are always used to playing with, which before was a, a thing that Max and Lulu really, Max and Lulu and Jackson and Bailey obviously still around, but having multiple beater pairs who have played a lot together is super useful. And I think that's going to be something the U.S. might struggle with. Yeah. Part, part one of that take weakest since 2016 i mean maybe there's only been one since then who knows it's possible true but, it's a 50 50 shot <laughs> but again yeah like i feel like a lot of people there might be some people in europe who if there's anyone in europe who didn't happen to you know watch the most recent u.s nationals super closely and who follow the old names and don't recognize a name like leo freed and think who are all these new kids it's like good luck to you underestimate a talent like leo okay yeah Exactly. But, um, Again, there's so many players on this roster that can be plugged in anywhere, depending on yeah. how you want to use them, and will make huge contributions. Yeah. yeah, I think that's one thing that takes really looking at is the something we discussed in the USA episode is there's nine World Cup winners in this roster. Um, but yeah, the like some of the key names in the past, they were looking at like Jake Archibald, for example, Harry yeah. Greenhouse, Sam Hamowitz, uh, Harley Pace. Um, all these players that were big and have sort of grown a reputation outside of the U.S. aren't on the team this year. Yeah, And it's just what? the case of how close it's been following the U.S. game to know what these new hungry players are and how they're going to influence this year's team. And I think I think it's important to realize, too, like all the players that people mentioned are, you know, that we we're missing from the last one, like Jake. Right. Jake's a huge one, huge part of those teams. Uh there's several players on this team that are new to the team that are better than Jake, that are better than Jake ever was that are better than Jake will ever will be like Darian. Like the fact that Darian's on this roster, Darian's better than Jake. I would, I would choose, I would build a team around Darian before I build a team around Jake Archibald. And that's not me dogging on Jake. I love Jake's play style. If I played, I like that. He was shooting shots early on and not a lot of people were doing it. Love Jake, big fan. Uh, But yeah, it's just, it's how the game's developed here. It's how the athleticism has developed here in the U S like a lot of these, a lot of these new kids are again, already on team USA and they're like in college still like some yeah. of these people are, are athletic freaks. You know, some of these people are, are very talented. Um, and exactly what you mentioned, if you don't know who like who Leo is, or if you don't know who like Selene is like all these players that never played internationally before it's a, it's a two way street. They're like, yeah, y'all haven't played any of the European players. Yeah. But you haven't played them either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're on team USA yeah. as a 22 year old for a reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that's something I think really important to realize on the other side. So I, 
I get why people think that because a lot of the big names that played for multiple years are gone. But like, I think this roster is pretty damn stacked and can fill a lot of holes um, yeah. that the previous rosters have had. Yeah. So just yeah, just speaking, obviously, yeah. about um, the lose factor there. Like, I think that's something really interesting with the team having played with Max for so long. Like their chemistry as a pair is for. It's like, who who do we reckon would play with Lulu, like, in a pair? What what, what do you think? I imagine it's going to be Jackson and Bailey again, probably. Um, yeah, and then looking into... This is also, I think, the 25-person roster, so I don't know who's going to be on the 21, right? Um, so I could also see... I could see, like, a Daniel Lulu... Um, Tate, Lulu, and part of the Warriors line wouldn't be the craziest idea either. Um, but yeah, like Lulu is this person who has so much experience and is so talented that like, even though she's not playing with Mac, she should still get probably comparable playing time to what she had before, um, just because she is so good and has been doing this for so long. Um, and it's definitely one of the more strategic, I think, beaters they even have on their roster. So yeah, um, we'll see. Like, it also, I think it depends on maybe camp. Like, I don't know when rosters are due, but they have like a camp, I think, leading up to World Cup. And so, depending on how camp plays out, we could see other beaters on the roster. Like, Matt Brown, my boom, my boom train teammate, uh, he's one of the, the four male beaters on the roster. Like, he might make the final roster. So, that's a whole different look uh, than historically has existed. Um, but, like, you have, you know, the stalwarts, which are like Jackson, Daniel, Tate has kind of been, I think, what they've, been aiming towards the past, like at the ESPN event, which if people weren't watching that, that's a really good idea. I think of what that's the closest iteration of team USA we've seen. Right. Um, yeah. is like the games with the DA and the teams and the, and the games with Canada. Um, and a lot of those, I think lines are going to look fairly similar. Um, obviously you know, again, they have plug in and play players, but overall, like, I think there's some really nasty lines here. Um, I'm really hoping that Lulu gets a lot of playing time. Cause I think she, will be very good internationally having so much experience there, even without max who was out. Yeah. I think he chipped a bone in his foot or broke his foot, something of the sort at a, a nationals a couple months ago in April. Yeah. So I remember seeing that and wondering what had happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Think people are sleeping with name recognition and not seeing those legends, but like Tad was saying, I think when I, when I watch domestic play and the ESPN footage and stuff, and I look at people like Esparza and Sanchez and Merchick Ellis. And it's like, they're, they're better athletes than anyone ever used to be. They're, they're absolute freaks. And, and then, you know, the old school ones that are still there, people like Augie and Julia and Lindsay, the, the impression I get is that culturally, they're the, like, the real reason the teams win. They're the serial winners that just find a way to get the best out of teams around them as well. Like the, the, the old school folks that are still there, whether they're in their physical prama or not, you know, we know notably until this year, Augie doesn't lose stuff basically for the most part. Like he, that's why he's the goat, you know. And so, yeah, I think the talent players have it while still having just enough of those names that there's, there's going to be people like me and Fraser. I'm always really interested to see how someone like a Fraser will go being there playing because it's something I've always reflected on. There's just enough names in this U.S. team that will make the nerds who follow the game get awestruck about and go, holy shit, I have to play against Augie and freak out. And that's actually a bigger factor with U.S. kind of aura that I think people give credit for. Me and my best mate watching in 2018 were watching Australian legend Andrew Colf defend the hell out of Augie and be amazing. And we were sitting there thinking, how can Colf even do that? We'd be shitting our pants just wanting the man's autograph. Like, I think that's a big factor as well, almost. 
And yeah. that's what's so cool about that Hong Kong team. You get to, you play four teams like that, which sucks, but it's also going to be the coolest thing ever. But yeah, and then as far as relevant to the second take there, yeah, there's a lot of people there who haven't won a World Cup. How many MLQs and nationals have they all won? That's the best quad ball that exists. They've all played huge enough stuff. That won't be a problem. Yeah, true. Yeah. I, I can I can confirm I'm very excited to play this US team. I like it, it's just one of those like I wouldn't say a, a dream, but it, it, it's right up there in terms of like things within my sort of quad ball career that like has been on my list for a long time. So it's a yeah. opportunity. Like it, it's it's like it's one thing seeing these play, players play in person, which I've had the pleasure of doing, but be able to play yeah. against them and see what that's like, like. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I'm very excited. When I talk about all like that, that's amplified being stuck over here because I've not met a single one of these people. So <laughs> it's easy. It's hard for me to even think about people like them as normal people. And then a lot of my Aussie mates come over from World Cup and are like, yeah, got drunk with Augie at the social. He's a fun dude. And I'm like, whoa, he's a real human being. That's incredible to consider. So There's no way Augie got drunk at the social. <laughs> I, think getting, I think it was my crew getting drunk while vibing around him. That's that's no, that's more appropriate. Right. <laughs> I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever. Heard. I mean, maybe who knows? I just <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, we're going to our final take of the episode. Uh, we, we've gone on for a lot for a while, but we're having fun, so it's all good. Um, our final take uh, it comes from good friend Giafrino, who says that at flag runner floor, the final will be within range. It's quite a general take, but an interesting mm. one to think about nonetheless. Yeah, don't think it's super hot, necessarily. I mm. mean, is it hotter for me to say that I don't think it, I don't think it will be? Maybe, slightly. <laughs> ah, the, I don't know. On the um, pre- yeah, on the precedent of last two years, that's notionally hotter to think that it won't be, but I tend to lean that direction as well and think it won't be. I, uh, I, so... Especially after I've watched the 2018 final a lot, um, <clears throat> and I've watched uh, a good amount of European games as well. Um, I think for me, something that I've, I've realized is that up until recently, I think until like the recent like European games, I think a lot of the success European teams had against the U.S. You know, these closest game, close-ish games, the Belgium final. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think a lot of it was the result, not so much of things that the European teams are doing right, but so much of the U.S.'s like, all right, you're playing this game just differently than we are. And even though we're, I think, a better team, more strategic, more disciplined, more athletic in all these ways, you're literally just playing things weird. And we just don't know how to adapt to that. <laughs> like, <Yeah. clears> like I think about that final where they pressed the first five times and then Louis started getting lucky. I started getting some actually good looks in uh, at beater. And then they started just like collapsing on defense. Like there were plays, there's a handful of plays Belgium made in that final where I was like, those were good quad ball plays. Like you deserve those points. All the other ones was like, Oh my God, you got lucky that the U S just did dog shit at playing defense in this moment or like did this horrible thing. And for me watching these people who I'm friends with or players who I've played against a million times and been tooled by a million times, I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, you're <laughs> so much better than this. This isn't like, a, to me, it's uh, maybe until this year, 
uh, at World Cup. It's never been a European teams are doing so much better so much as the U.S. team just did bad in this moment. Um, and so I think at least that's what was the impetus for the snitch range game and the 2018 final was a lot of just carelessness from the U S more than like, Oh, Belgium was doing a lot of really good things. Um, and again, I think it plays in what I said earlier of like the style of play. A lot of Europeans have where again, they, they drive in, they take contact, they absorb contact and they still make good shots while being tackled in a U.S. game. That's either going to be a pass or that's going to be like a, a it's going to force a missed shot because we're just so bad at like offensive contact um, as a I think as a country compared to Europe. Um, yeah, I think that's really going to play into the like that's the only reason I think the game could be closed. But I think at the highest level now where the teams are playing disciplined defenses and there's meaning and purpose, I think the U.S. is strategic enough or even Australia, you know, is strategic enough to really hold any team like maybe would it be Germany or England or someone that makes their way to a semi or final. Like, I think that's going to be kind of that differentiating factor um, at the highest, highest level now is going to be the level of organization and thoughtfulness that goes into like ball possession and stuff. Um, and uh, that's going to be the difference in it being a 50 point game versus like a 20 point game going into the was it just 18 minutes? For the floor here? Uh, 20. So it's 20 now? Cool. Yeah, that's just how it is for USQ. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think I think it's going to be less of like, what is US doing wrong? Which I, I think we all agree US is probably going to be in the final. May, like At worst, it's going to be Australia, someone else. One of the two make the final, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask, actually. Like, if we're assuming the US are in the final, who is in the final with them? This is something we've asked throughout the Road to Richmond series, um, after all. Yeah. Like, what, what do we reckon? I think it's Germany or Australia, and I think it's probably Australia. But that also assumes the bracket lines up properly, which yeah. was the biggest FU at the last one, was that Australia yeah. probably should have been in that final against the US and not have played them in the quarters because that game was so much better than the final, even if yeah. even if it wasn't as close. Like the game was closer, even if the scores didn't reflect it. Yeah, so the the, the bracket worries me because if if England and if England do have an easy group and get that one seed, then US and Australia are the two three, and there's a semifinal. Oh wow! And if that's happening <laughs> with England as a one, then I think the final. Ends up. That's why I think it could end up being something like U.S. versus African nations coming out of like a five seed upsetting like a Belgium in a quarter and then an England in a semi or something. But mm, that's, what, that's, that's spicy. What, I like that. That is a spicy that's take. The actual, <laughs> yeah, that's the actual take itself. Yeah, I think if it, the game and the tournament's going to be played on like U.S. terms, like if they're just kind of a bit shit for whatever reason, which to be fair kind of happened in patches both the last two World Cups, that it could get fun. If the US are anywhere near their best and execute, the, the reality no one wants to face in Australia or Europe, uh, no, one, no one's close. The level's just different. No one's actually close. And I think a, a US versus African Nations final, and you talk about spicy takes, I've, I had a friend of mine who obviously should actually put it into the takes here. He said they should be letting the development team, the US sec- second team, into this tournament. And then I think we'd have U.S. versus U.S. in the final. I think that's the watching those ESPN <laughs> games. There's nothing here that I play and see every day, and there's nothing in Europe close to it. So for the final to be in range would be a ridiculous surprise, but it would still not be as big a surprise as 2016 was. You know, that's the great thing. Ridiculous things can happen. That was that's yeah. still a way, way bigger upset than anyone could possibly dream of. So, 
and I've, I've got my crews back, so I'm going to back my boys and girls out of Australia still. But realistic, boring, non-hot take analysis, I don't think anyone's close to the US. Yeah, I've, I think, yeah, like, when you kind of look at the stats and figures of it, like, yeah, like, that is quite an easy take to make overall. Um, but, like, as you pointed out, James, though, in 2016, obviously, yeah, 2018 final. Yeah. Like, you can have all these, like, really talented players on a team. Um, but at the end of the day, there's only six players on, on, a, on a field at one time, six versus six, and then obviously seven when the Seekers come on. Yeah. And it's all these individual Weird games. Stuff happens, yeah. And we, yeah, weird stuff happens. Like you get like cards, you get injuries, you get hot streaks, you get cold streaks. Like that's what makes this really exciting. Like it's a very yeah. open World Cup, but at the same time, like it could also be quite closed off. Um, and the only way we're going to find out is in well a few weeks' time as to how that plays out. Um, but anything could happen. Yeah. Lovely. Right, I think we're gonna wrap it up there. Um, it's getting uh, the early hours of the morning for me, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, getting quite late for Tad, and it's coming towards midday for James. Um, but yeah, it's nine thirty. Um, I'm going out, baby. <laughs> out on the town. I got, I got a, I got a karaoke to do, dude. <laughs> Love it. I'm, I'm very jealous. Um, but yeah, James, Tad, this has been awesome. Um, yeah great to have you guys on and uh get really in depth with this tournament um and hopefully encourage more discussion um around the world about this tournament get people excited get people hyped um it's getting closer and closer and yeah like i'm just i'm now done with all the talking and we can just see what happens on the field and yeah see how right some of our thoughts and predictions are so yeah thank you very much for your time it's been great awesome thanks very much yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Very welcome, both of you. And uh, yeah, to uh, the person who messaged me a few days ago, I hope we have stirred the pot sufficiently for you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, yeah, uh, if you'd like to step to date with future episodes of the Total Quadball podcast, um, yeah, which will be after the World Cup now. Um, there won't be much content for a while. Um, but yeah, when we do release content, yeah please give our Facebook page a like. Uh, you can also listen back to the rest of our Road to Richmond uh, series on Spotify, which is brilliant in my very biased opinion. I uh, really enjoyed doing it. Hope you guys enjoy listening to it as well. Um, yeah. All the best to everyone playing the World Cup. Um, yeah, I hope to see as many people there as possible. I hope it's a fantastic event. Um, had so much hype building up to it. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited for it. Um, but yeah, until next time, keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.